Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'll bring greetings from Community Bible Church in Navi, Mumbai, India. I was up last night uh, watching the services. Uh, the, the time there right now is a quarter to eight at night. And so uh, we are excited to be here. And uh, we thank the Lord for this partnership. So my main idea today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, that's what we'll be looking at today, is that believers should stand firm and be alert with regards to Christ's teachings. And they do that by living holy lives today in anticipation of the return of Christ in the future. So I'm going to say that again. Believers should stand firm and stay alert based on the teachings of Christ today. And how do they do that? They do that by living holy lives in anticipation of the return of Christ in the future. I believe that's the main idea. And as an introduction to the book, 1 Thessalonians is written to believers, as we would see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And so this book is written to believers, the gathering of saints in the city of Thessalonica, hence the name First Thessalonians. And we know that these are believers because of Paul's introduction. And we see here in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And so these three qualities are true of a believer. Namely, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. We live in dark times. We live in confusing times where even fundamental issues are being debated upon. But what we believers believe is that God is the one that created everything. And He created all things for His good pleasure. The storyline of the Bible is that all things point to God as the Creator, Sustainer, and in our text today, the Consummator of all things into the new creation. God created us for himself and for his glory. That is why we exist. And that is fundamental to a believer's belief today in anticipation of the hope of Christ's return in the future. And we see this idea of hope again in verse 10 of chapter 1. And to wait for his son from heaven. Jesus is coming again. We, he came the first time as a suffering servant to provide a way of reconciliation between sinful humanity and the wrathful father, justly so. And he is coming the second time as the sovereign king, wherein every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is God and King. And so th- that idea of hope is never lost in the darkest of times. I don't know the, the nature of uh, your political climate here in Marshall or in Michigan, but I cannot believe that it's any better than the rest of the country and the rest of the globe. But what we must never forget is as believers, our hope is not in a better government, although that would be great. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is coming again. And that is the hope that he is talking about here. More specifically, when we go to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we see how us believers are going to be with Christ one day. We see verse, chapter 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And so he's writing so that these believers would be informed about other believers who, and asleep is a euphemism, it's a metaphor for those who are dead. Dead believers, what is going to happen to them? He didn't want them to be worried about them. He didn't want them to be concerned about them. He wanted to inform them what the Bible teaches about dead believers. And then in verse 14, he says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, just because it's a condition there, it doesn't mean that you can leave it, take it or leave it. It is a, it is a condition that we strongly hold fast to. It can be read in this way. We believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is our hope, isn't it? That Jesus died, but then three days later, He rose again. And because we do, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For a Christian who dies here on this earth, and death is inevitable unless you are one of these Uh, mentioned in chapter 4, we will rise again. There will be a bodily resurrection of everyone because Jesus rose again from the dead. And then he goes on to say, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is the authoritative word of God that is telling us this. It's not man's conjecture or opinions. So, that's where now he goes to chapter 5 after explaining the hope we have in Christ. After explaining uh, how the believers have hope in Christ because of his resurrection. He goes now to chapter 5. And here he emphasizes what I believe is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is day of judgment. It's the day of, uh, it's, it's anticipating the second coming of Christ. As you see in verse 5, there's an indicator here. It says, now as to the times and epochs. As to the times and epochs. And, and that's an indicator that he is, he's talking about a different time than what chapter 4 was mentioning. He's talking about a time in the future. But what does he say about that? He says, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He says, don't worry about it. And so the first point I want to make in chapter 5 verses 1 to 3 i got to watch my time because I preach for an hour at my church, sometimes an hour and a half. So, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, 
we see the destruction, the sure destruction of unbelievers. The sure destruction of unbelievers. He says, now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. And, and the reason is because he's just explained it in chapter 4. Uh, and, and we have enough detail of what's going to happen within the New Testament to help us move forward here in the present times. We, have, we, we don't have a God who debilitates us. We have a God who encourages us to, to live a life that he has already revealed to us. Right? There is no secrecy with our God and things that are secret are kept secret for a reason. Uh, such as the exact timing of his second coming. Uh, so many people have lost millions of dollars trying to predict that over the course of the many years, even in the United States. But the Lord says, I'm not telling you. You don't need to know when exactly I'm coming. Uh, what, you, what you need is inscripturated. It is in the Bible, revealed, and live that out. So he says, you don't need of anything to be written to you. But he says, verse 2, For you yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And so uh, we don't know of many thieves who tell us, you know, tonight at 7 I plan on coming to your house and taking all of your belongings. And so the idea here is the idea of surprise, secrecy. We don't really know when this day of the Lord will come. We don't really know what is the exact time and month and year. Every, every generation has been through somewhat of a tough time. And, and, uh, and, and I hear from everybody, oh, these are troubling times. And, and the next phrase, if you are a Christian, always is, the Lord must be coming very soon. Now, that, that, that idea of eminency is there. And the Lord must be coming very soon. But, the, uh, but that doesn't mean we start to now engage in the exact time and date that the Lord has to come. He just told us, don't worry about it. Don't, just, 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 we, I just, what I told you in the revealed word is sufficient. He says, just, just engage here now. Re- recognize that it's, he's coming like a thief in the night. He's coming when, when nobody will anticipate it. He's coming, is, is secret, right? And, and he's referring here, if you notice, to the day of the Lord. This is his second coming where he's going to judge the entire world, right? He's going to judge everybody as the king of the world. And that's, that's secret, and it's going to surprise us. And verse 3 talks about how it's going to be sudden. He says, while they are saying, and notice he says they. He doesn't say while we are saying. And this is because of First Thessalonians 4 and telling us where we will be at this time, Right? And so he's saying, while they are saying, while these people that are out there are saying peace and safety. Right? So there are these people that are going to continue life without Christ, thinking that everything is hunky-dory. Everything is fantastic. It's all good. We're just, we're just here, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There are going to be people like that. And he says, while they are comfortable, while they are rejoicing in the present, he says, destruction will come upon them. And that's why I said the destruction of unbelievers. So the destruction will not come upon believers. 
the day of the Lord will come upon unbelievers. I mean, and, 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 and to sum it up, it's, it's talked about in terms of God's wrath being poured upon them. The wrath of God will be poured upon them. His justice will be meted out for all of those people for whom Christ has not saved from the wrath of God. For believers, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because of God, Jesus Christ's righteousness given to us freely because of his, his payment of our sins fully and finally and because of his resurrection we do not have the wrath of God being poured on us we are free from all condemnation but for those who have not repented who have not believed in Jesus Christ he says there will be destruction coming upon them and notice it comes upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. I have uh, two children and, and uh, I, I do believe it is a painful process. But I also know we never know when it's going to happen. Right? Uh, our first time I was, uh, when we had our daughter, I was working in Novi at that time. And my wife was working the day she, was, she went into labor pains and she called me uh, and said uh, uh, you know, nothing's wrong I just need you to calm down uh, but, but my water just broke and I, we've talked about this before we read books on it but at that moment uh, all of that escapes you right I mean the critical information escapes you so I, I just said okay I'm, I'm coming and she said no r- relax just take your time uh, I thought I made it from Novi to Hamtramck, Michigan in 10 minutes. That's how fast I was <laughs> driving. And, and, and uh, uh, it was so fun and games initially, like the first few hours. Uh, she was walking around. I said, this is a piece of cake. This is nothing. You know, we're going to go through this with no problem at all. Uh, but as, uh, and, and, and she is saying we, as if I was involved in it, but... but uh, <laughs> Uh, she and and but when when the pains started and the contraction started and and she started to feel uh, feel it uh, you know I I could not console her enough right uh, that is how the day of the Lord is going to be he says like a woman in pains during childbirth it's going to be sudden it's going to be destructive right and then he goes on to say. And they will not escape. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. For those, for for believers, unbelievers, their destruction is inescapable. God's justice has been meted out. And here I want to give a word of encouragement for those that have been through injustices. No injustice is greater than the injustice that mankind has done against our God. And God has fulfilled His justice on the cross of Calvary. And He will fully fulfill His justice in the day of the Lord. When He meets out every evil with His wrath. That is God's justice being meted out. 
And so there is a short destruction of unbelievers. And so because the day of the Lord is coming and it's sudden, it's surprising, and it's inescapable, he says, believers then have a disposition that we ought to have. We have an identity, right, that we need to adhere to. And here we see in verses uh, 3 onwards, and they will not escape, but you, brethren, but you, brethren. Again, he was talking about them, and now he's going to come back to the believers. You believers, you brethren. Brethren is a term colloquially used in the New Testament for believers. And so he's saying, you believers, you are not in darkness. And darkness is a metaphor for evil here in this context. It's a metaphor for destruction. It's a metaphor for those that have no hope in Christ Jesus. So he says, you are not in darkness. And, and, and you're, this, this also has, has the idea uh, that you are not uh, uh, completely ignorant of where the world is going. Uh, it, it, it pains me, especially in this political climate. To see how believers are tearing each other apart. Churches being ripped apart, especially the COVID times. Uh, Our hope is not in these governments or in, in this world. Our hope is in the return of Christ. We are not part of this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through it. And, and our identity here is primarily in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and our job here is primarily to exalt His name, to glorify His name in all realms. We'll talk about our, our job as a church specifically, but, but He says here, You are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. You're not going to be surprised by this. Now, you don't know the exact timing, but you know it's happening. You're not going to say, oh, I wasn't expecting Jesus. Anybody have uninvited guests, right? Uh, in, in India, it's very common, right? And, and we understand that, that while we're taking our afternoon nap, you know, we must be vigilant to host anybody, right? Uh, uh, out here, it's almost rude to do that, right? Uh, to just show up at somebody's house. But happens quite often in India, and so we're, we're prepared, and so we're more biblical in India. No, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just doing... So, so what we have here is this, this idea of knowing who you are so you can be prepared, right? Uh, so if you're a doctor, for instance, right? if your profession is that of a doctor and you're on call, it doesn't matter where you are. If you are called, you're prepared to leave right away, right? Because you understand the, the importance of you being with a patient. That is your job. And as Christians, he says, because you are in the light, you're not ignorant. You know these things, right? You know who you are. You should not be overtaken by it. He says, the disposition should be, for you are all sons of the lights and sons of day. And so in that contrast, he shows, you, you should not be overtaken by it, because those that are in darkness are overtaken by it. Those that are not in Christ are overtaken by it. Those that are believers are not overtaken by the day of the Lord. We, are, we know it's coming and we are freed from it. And so because of our identity, 
we live out a kind of life that's distinct to darkness. He says, we are not of night nor of darkness, right? This is our identity. We are not ignorant. We are not in darkness. Now, he will talk about actions here, but right now he's, he's referring to dispositions. Jesus Christ, because of his amazing love, because of the Father's amazing love, has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, Ephesians says. We are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we are the true, uh, and, and I don't mean this with its historical connotations, but enlightened ones, right? God has enlightened us. He's, he's taken us out of slavery to sin and made us children of Almighty God. You are a child of God this morning. Not because of your willing to do so, but because God has graciously given that to us freely. Right? So he, he, we, that is our disposition, that we are children. So then he says in verse 6, he says, let us not sleep as others do. And so this is where I would say we must, we must stay alert. We must stay alert. We must not be asleep. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever slept on the wheel, right? Uh, and and uh, it, it is a difficult thing, especially that, uh, uh, you know, after you've driven throughout the night and it's, the sun's out, uh, for some reason uh, you feel the sleepiest at that point in time. Uh, but, but it can be very destructive if you continue to sleep on the wheel. It can be very destructive not only for you, but for the passengers with you, right? And, and unfortunately, there are some sleepy Christians that are, that are totally living their lives for the here and now. Not looking forward to the return of Christ. It, it, it is all, 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 it's as though they think that, that Christ's coming uh, is, is not eminent. It's as though they, they believe uh, that, that uh, you know, Christ is somewhat procrastinating his coming. No, there is a day he's coming back. He is coming back. And so we cannot be sleeping at the wheel. We must be alert. We must be active. Right? And he will tell us what we ought to do. But, but this should be, and look, look at, I say alert because look at verse 6, but let us be alert and sober. The, the, the idea of standing firm here is the idea of being sober, being vigilant, standing true to what is given. We are bombarded constantly by ideas and thoughts that are against the Scripture's worldview. And he's saying as believers, don't give up on the Scripture. Hang on to the Scriptures. Hang on to Christ's teaching. Hang on to the revelation of God. Don't be sleeping. Be alert. Be alert. And, and we hear, the, hear Peter here. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, seeks who he wants to destroy. Right? And so, and so we have to be alert. We have to be alert. And many stories about alertness, but time is of the essence. So I will keep going. The disposition of believers then is that we ought to be alert and sober. But then, but why should we be alert and sober? And I think he will, he will tell us, give us reasons in verses 7 through 8 by describing a certain kind of people. So we saw the destruction of unbelievers. We saw the disposition of believers. 
then we'll see a description of certain people here. And firstly, he will describe unbelievers. Verse 7, For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Uh, what is his reference here? Again, that metaphor of, of light being in Christ, darkness being without Christ, is being carried through. And he's saying the kind of activities that go on in darkness are, are not becoming of those that are in Christ Jesus. Right? The darkness uh, just, just reproduces evil, he says. Because its, it's disposition is that it is in darkness. It is enslaved to sin, right? And, and you know, uh, uh, my, my dad used this illustration one, and I'll use it here. Like, there's no reason why you should be out at one in the morning unless you have a night shift, right? <laughs> and, 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 and that's what he's saying is, is that, uh, you know, that what pervades in darkness is evil actions because of evil dispositions, Right? That's, that's the nature of darkness. But then look at the description of believers. He says, verse 8, But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Let us be sober. Uh, and, and there is debate about what, what is the day referring to here. Uh, and, and what does it mean that we are of the day? Uh, I won't get into it because I have no time right now. But I will say, simply I will say this. We are aware, like he said in verse 2, you yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come. We are aware of what's happening in the world and what's happening, what's going to happen in the future. And so he says, let us be sober again. Or here, more importantly, self-controlled. Now, notice in verse 7, he talked about drunk, get drunk at night. What are drunk people known for? Not having self-control. That's what drunk people are known for. Uh, some uh, sometimes uh, uh, on my Facebook feed there will be a, a, this cop, uh, you know, pulling pulling a car over, and and there's suspicion of uh, drunken driving, and 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 when they take the tests, some of those videos are extremely funny, right? Uh, they uh, like grown men and women uh, cannot count to ten, right? Uh, grown men and women can't walk a straight line. Uh, right, and they say things that are gibberish. They they don't have any self control, and and he's saying that's not that's not how you ought to be. You must be sober. You must be self controlled. Now, when when he says self control, what is our source? How do we be self controlled? He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Foundationally, we are we we can exercise self control not on the basis of our abilities right if it weren't for christ we would all be reckless in our lives right we would all live uh, in slavery to sin but here because of christ and our faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation because jesus christ has saved us and has told us we will escape this day of the lord that there will be no wrath because of all of that we are able to stay self-controlled alert right so, so he talks about then this idea uh, that, that foundationally the gospel is not something we need just to get saved, right? From the wrath of God, coming wrath of God. But the gospel is something we need to live out self-controlled lives, sober lives, right? It's foundationally in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, he ends with, 
verses 9 and 10, uh, uh, the decree of God. So we have the destruction of unbelievers, disposition of believers, description of unbelievers and believers, but the decree of God, verse 9, for God has not destined, and that's why I use the word uh, decree, destined us for wrath. And he's referring to believers here because of verse 8, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. Right? So God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined for God's wrath. You don't want to be people under God's wrath. God's wrath is oftentimes ignored in many good churches even. Because we love a picture of a loving God who pursues us even when we do bad things. But while God's wrath is not his intrinsic, immutable character, part of his character, it is his implied disposition against all that is evil. God is angry. Now, he's not angry like you and I are angry because you and I are angry uh, when things, bad things happen to us. Our anger is a reaction to things. Right? Our anger is usually full of emotion without substance. Right? But God's anger is not like that. God's anger is his just disposition rooted in his perfect holiness against all that is evil. That is destruction. Coming under the wrath of God is true destruction. Not living out your identity here on earth is not true destruction. <laughs> Trying to live out your identity here in Christ Jesus will provide salvation. He says here, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be under the wrath of God. We are not under the wrath of God today. We are His children. God loves us with His electing love. Whereas He will pour out His wrath on this world and mete out His justice because of His perfection one day here on earth. And then not only will He save us, He says in verse 10, who died for us, and this is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead, we will live together with him. We are going to see Jesus face to face one day. And we are going to live with Jesus forever one day. No more tears, no more sorrow. On an individual basis, that sounds good, but, but positively, even even more biblically, there will be nobody on earth who will not recognize that Jesus is Lord. There will be no one on earth who will not worship the Lord as he truly deserves. There will be no one on earth that who will not glorify the Lord as he truly deserves. And we as believers will have glorified bodies. No more struggle with sin. No more struggle with sin. No more yelling at the kids. No more being angry at the wife. 
no more being being engaged in the world with worldly pursuits because our faith will be made sight and our Lord will be in front of us. And that, that is a shorty, brothers and sisters in Christ. A shorty. And so therefore he ends with what, what deeds we must do as believers. Verse 11, therefore, therefore, encourage one another. And I hope you are encouraged this morning by hearing about how we are to be self-controlled because the Lord has saved us from his wrath, right? How we ought to be sober, staying alert, right? Encourage one another and build up one another. And then look at what he says, the last phrase, and this is amazing for this model believers here in Thessalonica because it could be argued that they're, they're a very young church, right? And he says, just as you also are doing. You're already doing this, Thessalonican believers. You're already, you're already pursuing being alert, self-controlled, because you are saved from the wrath and you have, uh, have salvation through Christ Jesus. So continue to do it. And so Grace and Marshall, continue to do it. Continue to be sober. Stay alert. The Lord is coming again. Stand firm on Christ's teachings. Live lives that are self-controlled and holy because Jesus is coming back again. Shall we look to the Lord in word prayer real quick? And so, Father, help us to live our identity out. We are believers saved by the grace of God, saved from the wrath of God, brought into His marvelous light. And with one voice, we want to say, Come, Lord Jesus, and until you are coming, keep us faithful, individually and as churches that belong to Jesus Christ. I ask this in his name. Amen.